In the beginning of this chapter, uh, chapter 16 of the gospel according to John, Jesus told his disciples that it was for their good that he leave them. And he told them it was for their good that he leave them because once he left, then they would receive the help of the Holy Spirit, which is why he refers to the Holy Spirit as another helper. So it was for their good that he leave because him leaving would trigger the sending of the Holy Spirit who would come and be with them, whose everyday help was even better than the help that they had as they lived and walked with Jesus. So it was for their good. And in today's text, verses 12 through 15 of chapter 16, Jesus has something to say about that help. So these are very, chapter 16, verses 12 through 15, these are really important verses to help us understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the mysterious Holy Spirit. These are very helpful, helping us to understand who is the Holy Spirit and what is His ministry What is he here to do? Well, there aren't many more important places to go than words from Jesus on the night before he was crucified as he gives his closest friends a heads up of this Holy Spirit who would come. So if you haven't already, will you open your Bible to John chapter 16? If you're using one of the Bibles that we provide under a seat in front of you, which if you didn't bring one, please use one of those. And you'll find it on page 587. I think this will be better for all of you if you follow along and read the words that I'll be reading from today. But before I go any further, before I preach this sermon, we should pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for time and time again you give us to study your word together. And we pray that your word would do its work today of dividing our hearts and souls in good ways, uh, laying us open before you to see what is really in our hearts, to see what is really in our souls and where we need work, God. So will you show us that today and then do that work by your word, by your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. John 16, verses 12 through 15. It's just a few verses, so I'll read them several times this morning. And let me begin by reading them again. This is the Word of God. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So before we get started, looking at these verses, remember something. Remember that, strictly speaking, the you in these verses is not you, it is the disciples. You see the word you a lot in verses 12 through 15. So, strictly speaking, when you see the word you over and over again in these verses, please remember that the you is not you or me, the you is The disciples. Now, that's not to say that these words are not for you. They are. And we'll see how. 
But Jesus was not saying these words literally to you. He was saying them to these 11 disciples. So we don't want to apply these verses literally to yourself unless you have other verses in the Bible that give you permission to do that. So this is sort of a helpful principle when you're reading the Bible. Okay, all Scripture is for you, and there is something to be applied for you in all of Scripture, but that doesn't mean we can make the mistake of thinking that all of this Scripture is being written literally to me. And if you do that, you'll misunderstand some things. There's an example, you don't have to turn there, but in John chapter 14, verses 18 through 19, we memorized this a couple months ago as a church. You'll remember, I think Greg mentioned it this morning when Jesus said to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Now in that case, he meant he was literally going to come back to them after his resurrection and appear before them. So you see, if you, if you take that you to mean you, then you're thinking that Jesus is going to come and physically appear before you. But that's not what he was saying. That word was to the disciples. Now, there's an application for you, right? He is not also going to leave you and I as orphans. He's going to come to you, but he's going to come to you. How? Through the Holy Spirit. So you see? So same is true today. He is saying something to us. There is something here for us, but we've got to remember, and it'll make sense as we go on why this is so important. Remember, this is a conversation between Jesus and his 11 disciples. So don't be too quick to literally apply everything that he says to yourself. And hopefully you'll see where that could go really bad if you do. So let's get started, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So we'll just go a phrase at a time and pause and make sure we're tracking with what he's saying. So that's the first place we'll pause. He said to the 11 disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So he has many things left to say, but he's going to wait. And he's going to wait because, in his words, they cannot bear them now. They can't handle them right now. There could be lots of reasons for that. They may just be overloaded on information and teaching that he's been giving them. Uh, They may be worried and anxious and sorrowful they seem to be because they've just learned that Jesus is leaving them and so they can't they can't handle anymore right now. Have you ever had a conversation maybe with someone, uh, a friend, maybe one of your children and you're giving them a lot and you realize that you've reached the point where I just don't think they can they can bear anymore right now. Anything else I say it's it's really not going to be heard. Maybe they're tired. It is late at night. It's been a long day. They could just be tired. We know the disciples over and over again are confused. I'm sure that has something to do with this. You can't bear anymore now because you, 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 can't, you can't even totally understand what I've told you up until this point. Yeah, I'll tell you later, but right now, I know you're confused in part by the things I'm saying, and so I'm going to stop. Look at verses 16 through 18, which we'll get to next week. But hear the confusion of the disciples. And you've heard this before. Jesus said, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father... 
So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do, what did they say? We do not know what he is talking about. So that's probably it, if you're just looking at the context. That's probably what's going on here. You cannot handle any more. You're not even handling what I'm already giving you. Verse 13. When the Spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit, whom he's already introduced them to, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So, they can't bear all these things now, but they will be able to bear these many things once the Holy Spirit comes. And you can actually read about that taking place in Acts chapter 2. Right? In Acts chapter 2, there's way more things that are being told to them by the Holy Spirit. And do you ever see, this is interesting, do you ever see the disciples confused again? Don't. You don't see the disciples confused again. They understand and they're communicating to others these truths about God. So, the Holy Spirit will come. That happens in Acts chapter 2. Then you will be able to bear these many things. Then I will tell you all these things. How will he do it? Let's keep reading verse 13. For he, the Holy Spirit, will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So, put that together. Can't bear these things right now. Once you receive the Holy Spirit, that happens in Acts chapter 2. Those of you who are Christians, it happened when you became a Christian. Once you receive the Holy Spirit, then I'll guide you into all this truth. Then you'll be able to bear these many things. And then what else does he say in verse 13? He says it goes like this. Isn't this what he says? Jesus is going to speak to the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit is going to speak to the disciples. And then we can look in other places in the context and see. And then the disciples are going to speak to other believers. So that's how he's breaking it down. So Jesus is going to speak to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is then going to speak to the disciples. And then the disciples are going to speak to others. That's what he just said. He will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Same thing in verses 14 and 15. He will glorify me. This is the Holy Spirit. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. We've heard this before. Listen to chapter 14 when he first started talking to them on this last night about the Holy Spirit. Verses 25 and 26 of chapter 14. Do you hear the same theme? These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So there it is again. Jesus, Holy Spirit, disciples, believers. They will tell it to believers. Remember chapter 15, verse 27. You also will bear witness about these things. So that's this line of communication. Remember, he's talking to his disciples. I'm leaving, but I'm not done talking. I'm going to speak to the Holy Spirit. And then whatever he hears from me, and only what he hears from me, he's going to speak to you, 11 disciples, and then you, 11 disciples, you are going to, chapter 15, verse 27, you're going to speak to other believers. So we're going to focus on this speaking and this guiding of the Holy Spirit because that is the focus of verses 12 through 15. 
So we're going to focus on this speaking and this guiding of the Holy Spirit. But first, I want to point something out that's in these verses that's very important. And it is this, this truth. The Holy Spirit is all about Jesus. The Holy Spirit is all about Jesus. The Holy Spirit is about pointing you to Jesus. With that in mind, because see whether or not that's true, let me just read these verses again. Because I think when you read these verses, it almost makes the Holy Spirit sound sort of inconsequential. Like, he's just, it's all about him just saying what Jesus tells him, and it's all about him just glorifying Jesus, and he doesn't get to say anything that Jesus doesn't say to him. He is all about Jesus. Listen to the verses again and see if you hear that. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority. But whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine, therefore I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. So I'm getting from that and making this what I think is a very important point for all of us that Jesus is making clear. The Holy Spirit is all about Jesus. The Holy Spirit is about pointing you to Jesus. The Holy Spirit, his main ministry for you is bringing Jesus into focus. It's bringing Jesus into focus. Those of you who wear glasses. You wear glasses because I assume you need glasses. I wear glasses. I'm nearsighted. That means I see things well that are near, right? Okay. So I need glasses to see things far away. If I'm driving, if you're driving with me at night and I don't have glasses on, you should ask me to put my glasses on. That's what that means. If I'm going to a movie and I really want to see it well, and I'll, I'm going to wear glasses. But I don't really like, I don't like to, but I should more. Uh, I'm nearsighted. Well, I discovered something recently. Because recently when my, uh, after my mom had passed away and, and we're going through her apartment and we're, we're, we're cleaning. The, and, and apparently my mom collected reading glasses. There were lots of funny things that my mom collected. I know sometimes as you get older, you just start collecting things. So it's kind of cute. She had all these different things like uh, bottle caps and, and, and eyeglasses and those little ties for sandwiches. She just collected. So there's eyeglasses. Just all, we just, my wife and I were just joking about it. They just, we just keep finding them. Like there's more eyeglasses. There's more eyeglasses. You know, you go to Walgreens or something and you got the thing and it was like 50. She bought them all. <laughs> so they're all over her house. I'm going through them, I'm going through them, and I'm, I think I was with one of the kids, I don't remember, but I'm joking, and I'm, I'm putting them on, you know, how do these look, how do these look, and, and I discover something. <laughs> I put a pair of them on, and I pretend to read something, and it's really clear. <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure means I need those glasses that have like two lenses in them so I can see things far away and close, so I'm not ready to do yet. <laughs> I need those glasses, right? And you need those glasses because you're purblind. You don't, you don't see things as, as well as you should. They're not in focus the way they should be. So the Holy Spirit, okay, His ministry, it's one way to think about it, is He is bringing Jesus into focus. And you're not going to see Jesus well. You're not going to see him clearly unless the Holy Spirit is doing this work. So Jesus is making that clear. The Holy Spirit is all about me. He's going to bring me into focus. 
He's going to point you to me. This is what J.I. Packer calls the floodlight ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you want to read what I think is the best book on the identity and ministry of the Holy Spirit, I would highly recommend you read a book by J.I. Packer. He wrote Knowing God. Most of you are familiar with that book. He wrote a book called Keep in Step with the Spirit. That's a really helpful book. So he talks about this Jesus focus of the Holy Spirit, and he describes it as the floodlight ministry of the Holy Spirit and describes it as the main ministry of the Holy Spirit in believers and takes you through text after text beginning right here with the words of Jesus himself, cluing us in to a very important aspect of the Holy Spirit. He is all about Jesus. He is the only, this is the way he puts it, and it's true. Think about this. The Holy Spirit is the only self-effacing member of the Trinity. So he's God. He's totally God. He's not junior varsity. He's totally God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. But He is God active, pointing believers to Jesus. So self-effacing means that the Holy Spirit is saying, don't look at me. Look at Jesus. I'm here to get you to look at Jesus. You see why he calls it the floodlight ministry? The Holy Spirit is like a floodlight. And what is that floodlight lighting? Jesus. A couple years ago, I went on a field trip with my son to some, some of these caves that they have up in the foothills. And they led, these into one, led us into one of these caves. And they walk in, and they did this thing where they turn off all the lights. And that's really dark. There's dark and there's dark, and I'd never been in dark like that. Not that I could remember. Where you really can't, you can't see anything. I mean, you're underground in a hole. There's no light anywhere. So they, they turn off the lights, and you've got this rail, and you, you follow this rail, and they, they walk you into this room, and then you know what they do. They flip a switch. And when they flip a switch, there's maybe 50 floodlights. And those floodlights turn on, and you see the inside of this cave. And you see the stalactites and the stalagmites, and you see all of the colors and all of these rock formations and all of these crystals and if you've ever seen something like that, it's sort of breathtaking. I mean, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing. Now, when that happens, right, nobody gets down on their knees and says, man, check out this light. <laughs> this is an, look at that. This is, a, this is an amazing floodlight. I've never seen anything like that. <laughs> look at the shape and the way it's plugged in and the, the metal and the whatever else light bulbs are made out of. No one's doing that, right? No one's even thinking about the floodlight. Everyone is looking at the inside of this cave. Okay, so you finish that illustration. Jesus is the inside of the cave. Jesus is the inside of the cave. The Holy Spirit He's the floodlights. So here is a, an implication of this. And maybe you're already there. An implication is that any ministry or movement that has the Holy Spirit as its focus is suspect. So just think about that. Any ministry, if that's who the Holy Spirit is and if that's what his focus is, 
any ministry or movement that has the Holy Spirit as its main focus is suspect. Because when the Holy Spirit, what, 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 do you, what do you imagine, I guess, the Holy Spirit saying in that situation? This is what I hear him saying. Stop looking at me. Stop focusing on me. I'm here to get you to focus on Jesus. So look to him. So that's just an implication. Something I don't think we can overlook in this. It's almost awkward the first time you read it. Jesus is making very clear the Holy Spirit is about me. The Holy Spirit will come. He's going to mediate my presence to you. He's going to point you to me. And that's going to lead to all the wonderful things that the Holy Spirit leads to in your life. But he is bringing Jesus into focus. Okay, back to the main point. Back to the main point of this passage. Right, That summary, so far Jesus will speak to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will speak to the disciples, and then they would speak to others. Let's zoom in on that. Let's think about that point of these verses with a couple observations. That's how we'll do it. So, observation number one. God, according to these verses... God gives us all the truth that we need. We'll look back. I'll show you. But God gives us all the truth that we need. Look at verse 13 again. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Chapter 14, verse 26, which I read earlier, said the same thing about the Holy Spirit. He will teach you all things. So let me break this observation down. The observation again. God gives us all the truth that we need. Maybe a second one. That's the first one. God gives us all the truth that we need. Gives us. That's what Jesus is promising to do here. I'm going to give, I'm going to guide you into all the truth. I'm going to give you all the truth. There is no truth if God doesn't give it. God, thankfully, we see this starting in Genesis chapter 1, right? God is a God who reveals himself to us. God is a God of revelation. And we would not know God if God did not reveal himself to us. So it's not the smartest people that find God. It's not the best seekers who find God. It's not the most intelligent. It's not the most spiritual. Now, none of that matters God is so high, God is so far beyond us. If God doesn't reveal himself to us, we won't know him. If God doesn't give us truth, we won't know truth. This is what Jesus is saying. I have words, the Holy Spirit's going to come, he's going to give you more words, and he's going to guide you into all the truth. So, if I'm not here, if he doesn't come, you're not going to know all the truth. So we need God to give us truth. We need God to reveal himself to us. If you know the catechisms, you also know. hope I could ask my boys and they would know. What are the three ways that God reveals himself to us? By creation, by his word, and by his son. God reveals himself to people. And if he doesn't reveal himself, we don't know God. God has to find you. You don't find God. So which song is right? 
Which song is right? I found Jesus. I like that song. I sing that song. Which one's right? I found Jesus or I once was lost, but now I'm found. Those are sort of two. Which is? I want to know. Which is it? Well, I just sang two opposite things. Did I find him or did he find me? And I know you, you could explain ways that both are true. But what are we learning? What is Jesus making clear to his disciples? It doesn't work like this, friends. God is not hiding for you to find him. You're the one hiding. Even when you're, you think you're seeking after God, you're the one hiding. And he finds you. He has to find you. And he awakens you. He quickens you, which is a great word. It means make you alive. And you see things you never saw before, and you understand things you never understood before, and you have joy you never had before, and you have comfort you never had before, and you have strength that you never had before. You have those things because, here's this ministry of the Holy Spirit, because God found you. And because he guides you into his truth. Because he reveals himself to you. And what all does he give us? Well, the observation I made is that God gives us, so he has to give it, and he does. God gives us all the truth we need. That's what he said in chapter 14, verse 26, and in verse 13, didn't he? All the truth. And that word, the, that's actually there in the original Greek. So not just all truth or all kinds of truth, but all the truth. So Jesus has in mind, right, some kind of truth with like parameters, a box around it. And that is, in Jesus' mind, the truth. And the Holy Spirit will come and he will guide you into all of, of that. You will know all the truth. So we should think about what that means. What does that mean? All the truth. The Holy Spirit didn't tell the disciples about photosynthesis. And that's true. There's nothing in the Bible about nuclear fusion or nuclear fission. There's nothing in the Bible about geometry. Thank God. <laughs> but these things I've heard are true. So it can't just mean all knowledge, everything there is to know, everything that is true. So what is all what truth? Guide you into all the truth. And the best way I know how to answer that is all the truth we need. That truth. All the truth we need. Listen, you don't need the truth of geometry. Kids, don't tell your parents I said that. <laughs> Except they're here. So. But you don't, you don't need that truth. You don't need the truth about how plants grow and how they get what they need from the sun, how they get what they need from the soil, and how they get what they need from the rain. You don't need to know how atoms can be brought together and taken apart. I mean, I don't even understand that. You don't need to know these things, but you need to know who Jesus is. And you need to know who you are. And you need to know what you need. And that's the truth the Holy Spirit will make plain and clear. Part of it? Like a teaser? No. The Holy Spirit will come and guide you into all the truth. The truth we need to know about God and man and salvation. Second observation. God, just building on the first, God gives us all the truth we need by His Holy Spirit through 
the apostles. So here we go. Remember what I said at the very beginning? Be careful when you read this. Careful, I said. It's a hermeneutical principle. It just means interpreting the Bible. When you read something, don't make the assumption that it's talking directly, literally to you. You're going to get something out of it, but who's he talking to? So he's talking to his 11 disciples. So there's something here for us to learn. God gives us all the truth we need by his Holy Spirit through the apostles. So just picture that again. Jesus speaking, the Holy Spirit speaking, the disciples. That's who he's talking to, you 11 disciples. I've been speaking to you. I've got many more things to speak to you. I'll tell them to the Spirit. He will tell them to you, not all of you, to the 11 disciples. He will, and then he made a special trip to Paul later because he wasn't here yet and told him the same thing. Okay, so Jesus, speak to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will speak to the disciples and then the disciples will go and they will bear witness and they will speak to others. And here's something else we know. They didn't just speak it. What else did they do? They wrote it. So let me, let me picture that another way. Jesus will speak to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will speak to the disciples. The disciples will write these things down and speak to other believers. What do we call the writings? The Bible. So you're picturing that? So Jesus will speak to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will speak to the disciples. They will write down what the Holy Spirit tells them to write down. And you and I will have a Bible, and it is through the Bible that Jesus will speak to you. That's what these verses are saying. And so because that is what these verses are saying, what did the, what did the early church do After the apostles died, what was one of the very first things they began to do after the apostles died? They put together the New Testament because they understood these words. They put together the New Testament that you have in your Bible today. There were a lot of letters going around. There were a lot of writings going around. You can still find them. A lot of them may have even been helpful. A lot of them may have been inspirational. But what did the early church decide? No, because of these words, the Holy Spirit promised to speak to these men. So what was the rule to get in this book? It had to have been written by an apostle or an associate of an apostle communicating what the apostle wanted communicated. Why? Because Jesus said, I'm going to speak to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to speak to these men, and they will bear witness to all of us. That's what he did. So God gives you, so how does this apply to me? How does God guide me into all the truth? God gives us all the truth we need by his Holy Spirit through the apostles. Well, the apostles aren't here. So what's another way of saying that? God gives us all the truth we need by his Holy Spirit through the Bible. So again, are you picturing it? Jesus will speak to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will speak to these disciples. These disciples will speak to believers. Do you see then that Jesus is still speaking to believers in the exact same way? And he's speaking to believers in the exact same way every time you read your Bible. Do you understand now why Christians have championed literacy more than anyone else in the last 2,000 years? Wherever Christianity spreads, we've got to teach people to read. Why do we need to teach people to read? Because this is how Christ has revealed himself to us. Why is translating the Bible such a big deal? This is why. Why should you be inexpressibly grateful that you have a translation of the Bible in English? Because it is 
by these words that the Holy Spirit speaks to you today. This is very important. So, Christian today, many of you are here and you're Christians. I'm so thankful for that. So, Christians today, when you say, God speaks to me, I hope you mean by His Spirit through His Word. I hope that's what you mean. I hope you don't think that Christians today are still receiving new words or new revelation like the disciples to be passed along to other Christians. When you say God speaks to me, and I say God speaks to me, when you say God speaks to me, I hope you don't mean revelation. I hope you mean illumination. I hope you mean that he's helping you to understand the word of God. If we understand what Jesus is saying here about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, then we will understand the authority of the Bible and we will understand the sufficiency of the Bible. The Bible is authoritative because it is the truth of God from Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And it is sufficient because it is all the truth that we need. You see why these verses are so important? The last night of Jesus' earthly life. And here is what he has to say about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That will help believers for generations. And we start to gather all the other verses. What we find is they just confirm and confirm and confirm exactly what we're hearing Jesus say here. So this, God's word, is all the truth we need. This is all the truth that we need. Now here's what I'd like to do. If this is all the truth that we need, and I hope, we've, I hope I've made a good case from John 16, 12 through 15. If this book is all that we need, then I'd like to think about that now. I'd like to think about that and uh, apply it toward two recent movements within evangelical Christianity. I'm really not going to say a lot about them because I think if we understand what what we, we should understand from the text so far, I think some things are going to be clear to us as I just sort of quote from a couple popular evangelical movements today. And I bring it up as a sort of warning. Because we don't do a lot. But I do think it's important. So there's two of them. They may or may not be on your radar. So maybe you hear these two, you're like, I've never even heard of that. Well, you might. Chances are, I think you will. So let me give you some things to think about. In light of that, this is all the truth that we need. What about something today called red-letter Christianity? Maybe you've heard of that, maybe you haven't. It's pretty popular as I understand it, and I keep hearing more and more about it. You can go to a website. You can read all about it. Red Letter Christianity. And they say some things that sound very good and are very uh, appealing when you read them. For example, and this is, just, this is just copied and pasted from their website. Okay, Like all Christians, we confess the Apostles' Creed and believe the central tenets of the faith that have been passed down from the first apostles. But many who call themselves Christian have not practiced the loving and gracious way of Jesus. Traditional terms like Christian, evangelical, or orthodox do not convey the spirit of Jesus in 21st century America. Now there is a critique that many of you may connect with. I do. I do. 
I connect with that critique. Here's something else that's said. This does not mean that we always get it right. It doesn't even mean that we always agree on how to live Jesus' way in the world today. But in the words of the old hymn, we have decided to follow Jesus, not simply to confess him as our Savior, but to trust him as our Lord. Now, there may be a humility in those words that you appreciate. I do. Those are humble words that I really appreciate. But the movement is basically this, that we should pay special, closer, more attention to, some of you have a Bible with red letters in it. A Bible with red letters every time Jesus spoke from the New Testament. Okay, some versions of your Bible, they put all those into red. I like them. I've got a bunch of them. The thought in this movement is that we should pay special attention to those words. We should pay close attention to those words because those are the recorded words of Jesus. Listen to what they say. So we distinguish ourselves by a public commitment to the red letters. The words of Jesus that are set apart in red letters in some versions of the Bible. We confess that the way of life Jesus taught and practiced is the way that we want to follow. So, let's pause and think about that. What have we said? That all of this is what we need. And this is all we need. Not part of it, but all of it. And do you remember what we pictured, what Jesus is saying? Jesus says, I will speak to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will speak to the disciples. And the disciples will speak to you. What that means is, every letter in your Bible should be read. Every letter in your Bible should be the color red. Because what is Jesus saying in chapter 14, in chapter 16, it's all from me. It's all from me. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. I'm going to speak to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to speak to you, and you're going to speak to others. You're going to write it down. So it is all, it is all important. It is all necessary. When you are reading a red-letter version of the Bible, and there's nothing wrong with reading red-letter versions of your Bible, but don't, that's the caution, don't value the red words more than the black words because Jesus is saying here, the black words are red words too. That's, that's the point. So I just bring that up as sort of a way to kind of exercise this thing that we're learning here and apply it somewhere. And get us sharp so you can see, okay, that actually has implications today. And not everything's good. Not everything's okay. I need to be discerning. That's one way that we could be discerning. So another movement, and it's the only other one I'll mention. I think more popular. Many Christians today think that they can and should hear the voice of God. Um, I remember... Recently, even seeing a seminar advertised that was going to be teaching and instructing people how to hear the voice of God. The audible voice of God. How to get quiet enough and how to get uh, meditational enough and how to get undistracted, etc., 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 and how to get yourself to a place where you could hear the voice of God. And many Christians today are, are interested in this. It's very appealing. And many Christians today are, are interested in learning how to do this. Wow, if I could hear the voice of God, I want, I want to hear the voice of God. And friends, I, I think that's unbiblical. In light of what we're reading here, I think that's a very unbiblical expectation. And I think it's actually really dangerous. Well, I'll tell you how. I think it's really dangerous because it challenges the sufficiency 
of Scripture where a Christian ends up feeling like this is not enough. This is not enough. So I need something else. I need something more. So I wonder if you and if we all understand that this is the explicit premise of one of the most popular professed Christian books written in the last 10 years called Jesus Calling. That is actually an explicit premise of that book. Many of you have the book, I'm, I know, I'm sure. That was another thing I found in my mom's apartment. <laughs> no! I failed you. It's all marked up and it's not crossed out, it's underlined and So this is interesting, and, and, and again, just, just a warning, I just because it's so popular, and it's just a way for me to get this out to, to a lot of people quick, and I'm not going to make it the point of the sermon, and I hope you see how it relates. So disclaimer is done. In, in earlier editions of her book, and this is interesting, it's not in later editions of her book, but in earlier editions of her book, Sarah Young, she's the author, she refers to a book called God Calling that was a sort of a treasure for her and an inspiration to her. And, and that book is about these, quote, uh, two listeners who would, would sit in silence with a, a pencil and paper in hand, and then they would wait to hear messages from God. And as they heard those messages from God, they would write those messages down and then publish them for others to read. And again, I'm just asking you at this point to just think about what we've studied so far in this sermon, in chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. Just see if any now, as you think about it, maybe you didn't think about it before, but now if any bells are going off. I'll, I'll quote what she says a couple times. The following year, this is after reading that book, I began to wonder if I too could receive messages during my times of communing with God I had been writing in prayer journals for years, but that was one-way communication. I did all the talking. I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. Okay, we're doing our job. Because <laughs> that was the same place when I read that I went, oh. Because what does that say? It's not enough. It's subtle, though. I knew that God's, I know everybody knows God speaks to me through his Bible, but I yearned for more. What a dangerous yearning. Think about that. Where could that go? This practice of listening to God, she said, has increased my intimacy with him more than any other spiritual discipline. So, I want to share some of the messages I have received. In many parts of the world, Christians seem to be searching for a deeper experience of Jesus' presence and peace. The messages that follow address that felt need. The claim that Sarah Young is making in her book, Jesus Calling, as I understand it, is that Jesus is speaking to you through her. I don't know how else to understand what she just said. I received these messages, and now I'm passing them along to you. The messages that he has given her, she now passes on to others. She is saying that Jesus speaks to her, and now she is speaking to others. So do you remember our picture? Jesus speaking to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit speaking to the disciples. And now through the word that they wrote, the Holy Spirit speaking to you and me. Now her picture is God is speaking to Sarah Young, and Sarah Young is speaking to you. 
I don't know how else to understand what she says. So the truth of our word today that is so important here is that the Bible is enough and there is no communing with God without it. So important. So in light of those quotes from her book, let me just finish this thing by reading verses 12 and 13 again. And I want to just see if it, if it... I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, this is the mess you get in if you don't understand the context and who he was talking to. Because now I'm Sarah Young, and the you is me. And so he's going to speak to me, and I'm going to declare to others what was his. So we need to be careful. We need to be careful. So, in conclusion, I felt like especially this morning, I should say more. And I don't want a sort of negative application of the, the text today. And that's kind of how it feels at this point. It feels like a negative application. Watch out. Watch out. Watch out for movements that have the Holy Spirit at their center. We've said that. Uh, watch out for teaching that minimizes the importance of the whole counsel of God, right? Watch out for that. And then finally, in this last one, watch out for extra biblical writers and writings that bring into question the sufficiency of the Bible, right? Watch out, watch out, watch out. And at least for me, I just felt like I don't want to, this feels kind of negative. So, positively, we're told in these verses that the Holy Spirit will guide you into all the truth. Now, the way that is meant for us, if it's not clear already, is that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth, not through revelation and new truth, but through illumination, through God's word, helping you and I to know and understand Christ through his word. And this is how the Holy Spirit still in every Christian, including you, is guiding you into all the truth. And this all positively now. This all again, and there's so much of this in John, is motivation for the prayerful reading of God's word. I think that's what this should be, is motivation for the prayerful, I, I need the Holy Spirit's help, reading of God's word. I hope that's what this does. This is how the Holy Spirit ministers to God's people. There is the sort of extraordinary mystical ministry of the Holy Spirit where he just unilaterally comforts you, strengthens you, enables you. I'm not denying that. And if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know that. It's just this mystical, extraordinary, magical, if I can use that word, way that the Holy Spirit just comforts you out of the blue or strengthens you, or emboldens you, and you weren't reading your Bible. I mean, he just, he just, he does this, and that, absolutely. Absolutely, the Holy Spirit does that. But, but, his typical, or usual way of comforting, strengthening, and enabling believers is by using his tool, his sword. And we're told over and over again that the sword of the Holy Spirit is the Word of God. That's His tool. 
That's what he uses. And that is the typical and usual way that the Holy Spirit comforts his people and strengthens his people and encourages his people is through the word of God. And so it's a motivation to the prayerful reading of God's word. So let me close just by saying how that typically looks for me. And I hope you'll find it encouraging. Because I know and I've heard and I've given all the, all the arguments and all the, all the excuses for not reading my Bible. And we have lots of them. All kinds of them. You're, you can rattle them off right now. You are rattling them off right now. I know I should read God's word more. I know I should do it prayerful. But and you have all these things, right? Just like I do. That I start saying, that I start rattling off, and it makes me feel better. I want to be motivated here to the prayerful reading of God's word. So the way this looks for me is sometimes I just read my Bible. Sometimes I just read my Bible. And I'm not prayerfully reading my Bible. I'm just reading it. I'm just checking it off the list. A lot of times I know it when I'm doing it. I got my little sheet of paper, and I go to my sheet of paper, and it tells me what I read today. And I'll tell you, sometimes even if I'm not prayerfully reading it, I'm not asking the Holy Spirit to help me. I'm not even interested maybe in being helped by it. I'm actually more interested in just checking it off the list. Just feels, some of your task oriented, just feels good. Just getting it done. Just being a good Christian today. And so I'll do that. I'll just, I'll just read it, and I'll check it off the list. And shamefully, that'll even make me feel good sometimes. Sometimes I will prayerfully read God's Word. And that's what I'm advocating. That's what we're advocating. I mean, that's how the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 2.12, He'll help you understand things that are spiritually discerned. That's how you need to read the Bible. This is His sword. This is how He guides you into all the truth. Not by just reading it. You shouldn't do what I do. But prayerfully reading it, what does that look like? You just at the very say a prayer before you read. Holy Spirit, help me. Impress this on me. Help me to get it. Help me to understand it. Same kind of way I pray every time I preach, right? Change me. Do a work in me. Cut me open. Whatever you need to do. So that's prayerfully reading the word. So sometimes they do that. I'm not just checking off the list. I'm doing everything right. I'm praying. I want to be I want to be moved and I'm not moved. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and nothing. Dial tone. And just a dial tone. There's no emotion. There's no felt help. There's no understanding. There's nothing. So maybe be encouraged. If you're thinking there's some formula, and if you do the formula right, it's just fireworks every time. That's just not. But then sometimes I'm prayerfully reading God's word, and my heart is stirred. Now, first of all, I understand that when I'm prayerfully reading God's word, whether I'm feeling it or not, doesn't really matter. I know God's doing something good in me. I know he's doing something good for me. And I know I'm getting nothing good without it, so I'm, I'm doing it. But then there are, there are those moments. This is how it looks for me. And for some of you, it may be balanced differently. But there are those times where I'm, I'm prayerfully reading God's word, and there's tears. There's conviction. There's joy that I can't even put into words. There's comfort that is beyond any other comfort. There's excitement. I wish those times were more. I wish those times were more. I wish that was every day. I wish that was every morning. But it's not. And sometimes those times are few and far between. I can go months without them. 
I can go months without them. But my motivation is still to prayerfully read God's word. Because I know this is how the Holy Spirit has promised to guide me into all the truth. And whether I'm feeling it or not, I know it's good for me. And I know this is how I'm going to know Jesus. And I know this is how he's going to change me. And I know this is what is good for me. And I know this is what brings him glory. And it's just the icing on the cake, isn't it? It's just the icing on the cake sometimes when there's fireworks. So my encouragement to you is not to do this to get something. Do this because you believe God's word is true. And you believe there is no communing with God without it. And you believe that his word is enough. Prayerfully read God's word. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word. And thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit that that points us to you that awakens us to you, that makes us more like you, that gives us understanding, that gives us wisdom, that gives us discernment, that gives us joy, that gives us comfort, that gives us hope, and all through the truth of your word. God, if any of us from time to time are tempted to crave something more than your word, to have some other new or exciting piece of truth about now or our future. God, we pray that you would turn us from that craving and bring us back to the sufficiency of the Bible. All the truth that we need. So work in us and among us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.